Hello, Internet friend. I'm David Ravel, and this is Value Side for Tuesday, October 3rd. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valueside.com. Well, today, how America can pick itself up and get back in the game. Well, we used to have a name for countries where the government controlled the economy. We called them communist a place where the government directed the means of production, to use Karl Marx's phrase. Today we see such a transformation in a most unlikely spot. Imagine where the government spends one quarter of all our income on a rescue plan, or the president sets the price of gasoline, or does the cost of doing business in America rise because of the cost of regulation? Today that place is America. And this is how America changed from the bastion of free enterprise to an economy that more closely resembles the demand economy of the old USSR. Now, it's been nearly three years since an obscure virus from a place named Wuhan, China, began a series of events that would change our lives forever. Few of us had ever even heard of Wuhan, and it was impossible to imagine that anything from such a faraway place could affect us here in America. Yet over the next few months, Wuhan and something called the COVID-19 virus would become our number one dinner topic. I remember those early reports indicating that Chinese authorities had discovered a particularly lethal virus in the Huawei province. I felt sympathy for those who might die of the plague, but thought there was little chance that it could have any impact on me or my family. Little did I realize how interconnected the world is today. Little did I know that the 2019 Military World Games had just concluded and the possibility existed that a virus, if indeed there was a virus, might have spread among the hundreds of soldiers, sailors, and airmen taking part in those games. In review, it's hard to imagine how different our world was back then. The world was at peace. China and Russia were our friends and allies. It was as natural as night and day for Americans, Chinese, and Russians to participate in an international sporting event to bring our countries closer together. Unfortunately, that has now changed. Today, the United States government tells us that our number one enemy is China, followed by a close second with Russia. Last week, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken reminded us to keep China on our watch list as our primary foe. Some of that hatred, no doubt, stemmed from the accusation that Wuhan was the origin of the pandemic, an assertion that has yet to be verified. American observers initially estimated that the fatality rate for the pandemic was nearly 1 in 10 which proved to be dramatically off the mark. But those first estimates of fatalities were sufficiently alarming for the average American mayor and governor to declare essential martial law throughout their states and communities. Only essential businesses were allowed to remain open. All the rest were to close, with their workers confined to virtual house arrest, forced to stay home in self-quarantine. Fundamental American concepts of due process and representative government were thrown out the window as these would-be dictators vied for who might be the most draconian. 
It was the raw exercise of power by a group that obviously should never have been allowed to have such ability. However, it did create a legal precedent, one that we hope to never see again. The lockdown also profoundly impacted our economy. They brought the nation's enterprise to a screeching halt. Economic activity in that second quarter of 2020 dropped by 30% from the quarter before. It was the most significant decline ever. The American economy was sinking, which sent Washington into an all-out panic. Under then-President Donald Trump, the U.S. Treasury and Federal Reserve started shoveling out money. New loans were invented, the government created special credit facilities, and made direct payments to state and local governments, as well as schools and universities, private corporations, and, of course, individuals. It was an example of pure Keynesian economics, where the government steps in to provide the liquidity needed to continue functioning in times of crisis. Before he finished, President Trump and his administration and the Fed would provide $3 trillion in various stimulus programs to see us through the crisis. Later, President Biden would add nearly $2 trillion more during his days in office. Now, was the stimulus really needed? Well, yes, of course. It reflected just how bad off the economy was. Without a doubt, this country was economically comatose at the time. Without some radical measures, we would have descended into the worst depression of our lives. First to remember, it was the unscrupulous politicians, the mayors, governors, who put us in that position. Without those quarantines and lockdowns, all this would not have happened. Second, the amount of the stimulus provided probably far exceeded what was really needed economically. It was a politically charged time in Washington in the middle of a presidential election. That's never a good time to consider public policy. What began as a purely economically-centered program quickly became an opportunity to pay off pet projects and programs. In particular, the education and environmental industries benefited from programs that were more than was needed to keep them functioning. This latest point is critical, because all those excess stimulus funds are a principal reason we have an inflation problem today. Suddenly, nearly $6 trillion of new money was printed and added to the money supply. As any first-year economics students will tell you, more dollars chasing the same amount of goods creates inflation. Of course, the stimulus was not the only contributor to inflation. The rise in energy costs also directly attributed to the increase in the consumer price index. Throughout his campaign for president, Joe Biden promised to, quote, outlaw fossil fuels. And he's been a man of his word. On his first day in office, Biden canceled the permits to construct a new phase of the Keystone Pipeline, a pipeline that was scheduled to bring nearly 900,000 barrels per day from Canada to the United States. It would provide a steady, reliable source of gasoline and other products for American cars and homes. Slightly over a year later, President Biden reacted to the Russian invasion of Ukraine by cutting off all oil and gas imports. 
Russia supplied at least as much oil and gas as that Keystone pipeline would have provided. The cancellation of Keystone and the sanctions on Russia resulted in a loss of potential oil and gas imports of 10 to 12 percent of the country's daily petroleum need. It was the most significant drop in oil supply since the OPEC oil embargo of the 1970s, when the price of oil quadrupled from $12 a barrel to $42 a barrel. In 2020, the oil price merely doubled from roughly $60 a barrel to 120 barrels, but therein lies the inflation. And just like the 1970s, inflation has surged, going from 4.6% in 2021 to nearly 8% in 2022, and most of that directly attributed to the price of gasoline. Prices that correlated with the presidential move to limit supply. Today, we live in an America that has seen profound changes because of these events over the past three years. We are currently experiencing the effects of those shortages, shortages which create inflation, supply chain issues, and increasingly labor unrest, all due to the imbalances created by the pandemic and the overreaction by the politicians. It isn't the first time we've been through tough times. Generally in the past, we met those challenges through reform. The United States has been the world's most effective self-correcting mechanism. Our federal system's distributive nature allows issues to be identified first and then various solutions proposed among the different states and localities. It is a process that ultimately results in much-needed reform. During the Great Depression of the 1930s, the nation identified Wall Street as a significant contributor to our economic problems. Over the next decade, the most insightful, far-reaching series of reforms were enacted into law. Those reforms included the Securities Acts of 1933 and 1934. They created the Securities and Exchange Commission and defined and prohibited fraudulent sales practices in the securities industry. Fraudulent practices that led directly to the stock market crash and subsequent depression. Those reforms provided a framework for what became the world's most important financial system. Although these reforms did not change human nature, securities fraud, after all, still exists, the definition of what was fair and equitable versus what was fraudulent helped create today's free and open securities markets. Today, there is a growing consensus in the country that in reacting to the pandemic, our political leaders overstepped their authority. Many of those ad hoc solutions created more issues than they solved. But fortunately, we still have the capability of self-correction. Properly applied, reform could be used as effective today as it was 90 years ago after the Great Depression. It might be just the thing to bring us out of this economic funk. And that's Value Side for this Tuesday, October 3rd. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valueside.com. I'm David Ravel. Value Side is independently written and researched. The views expressed 
are strictly my own.